0: This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Great, I'm going to start with a story. I remember going to India and it was my first time. Um, After that, I said to the Lord, Lord, never again. Well, there's a couple of stuff and, and just one One sort of thing, and this is for free, this is really for free, this is just a tip. Never say to the Lord, never again, or Lord, I'm never going to do it, okay? That was in 2001, going to India. I think I've been there 25 times after that, okay? Um, So never say never to the Lord. But in any case, so we're getting on here, this guy just tells us you're going to get into Mumbai, and I thought it's like a little city. Then I realized, like, there's what, 40, 60 million people living in Mumbai. He got us a train ticket. Nobody came to pick us up. This guy just booked the ticket for, to the east side of India. So here we go. This bunch of rookies, South Africans, never been to India, doesn't like chili, doesn't like hot food, getting on the train. The guy books a third class ticket. Uh, now, third-class tickets on, in India is crazy. It is like you literally, those pictures that you see of people sitting on the roof, it's true. It's not photoshopped. It's really, it's true. You you literally squash your way, and then when you get to the place that you booked, there's about forty other people sitting on your one place. Okay, so it's quite a quite a bit of a cultural, um, sort of an uncomfortable. Place, But in any case, eventually we get this roster going of who's going to sit on the train and who's going to watch out and check the bags. And here we go from Mumbai, which is in the west of India, right to the east, to Chennai. It's very hot. There's no air conditioning, nothing. We're sweating. It's, it's like really out of our comfort zone. So we go to a little place in the east called Tuni. Chuni, okay? You won't even find it on a map today, but there's more than a million people living in Chuni. Okay? It's, it's a small little town. It's a village, so it doesn't make it onto the map. Anyone here been to India? Wow, lots of you. Wow, that's great. So, you understand. And uh, eventually, we, we, we go up with a bus, get to Little Tuni, and there, we're very tired, and um, there we meet an old lady there. And, um, and as we come in, she greets us, each one of us, by name. We were 13, we started off as 14, we sacrificed one on the way. No, I'm joking, no, he couldn't make it because of an A3 or something, you know. It was a sacrifice we were willing to make, you know, just left him behind him. No, 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 we, he, he was, I had to write a rewrite or something. So he stayed behind. And so she greets the 13 by name, and then when it comes to the last one, she's, she's frowning and she asks the pastor, not in English, but she translated, or he pr- translated And she asked, now, where's the 14th one? And uh, she was an intercessor. And she would pray every night from 1 a.m. to 6 o'clock in the morning for us. But God showed her in three months before that already all of our faces, all of our names, who's married, who's not married. And she saw all of our faces in visions as she prayed for us. And she described the 14th one of the team, how he looked like to us. And then we realize like, sure. There's a book, if you get time to read it, read it. The Insanity of Obedience. The Insanity of Obedience. There's a story that the writer of the book writes, and he says he comes to the church in the Middle East, and he tells them like, And I'm paraphrasing a little bit, I don't know all the detail, but he tells them, he says like, you guys need to, you you guys need to write down all these stories, because he was interviewing a lot of people about all the miracles, all the stuff that was happening. He says, are you writing it down? Are you writing it down? And then the pastor just humbly took him to the window and says like, you know, look at the sun coming up, do you wake up your children every morning to go and check up And tell them, hey, the sun is coming up. The sun is coming up again. No, because it's normal. Then the pastor asked him, "Are you writing? Are you reading your Bible? Because why should we write stories that we experience every day that is in your Bible?" The point I'm trying to make is, what is normal Christianity? For 80% of the Christians in the world, normal Christianity is living with miracles, living with the supernatural God every day. For them, it's just normal. For us, write a book about it. Tell a story. Make a video about it because it's amazing, you know. God healed somebody. (laughs) But Christianity, the norm is a group of people that are wholeheartedly surrendered to him. And the Holy Spirit feels welcome in their midst to move and to do things. And so I'm going to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit as we're setting ourselves apart for this week. And as we're not doing a lot of events, and, because events can do nothing. Number of people in a church means nothing. If God's presence is not there, we're not interested. If God is not welcome, if it's not the norm of Christianity, then we might as well close the doors because we're just busy with another social club. And we cannot compete with the world. The world has budgets and stuff and entertainment. But if you come to church for entertainment, sorry, you must come to church for God. And the biggest question for us as leaders in this church is we say, God, what makes you feel welcome? Not what makes the people feel welcome. Because we can have white shoes. We can have flat caps, we can have coffee trailers, the best coffee and competing with all the other churches and all that stuff. And eventually we just draw people from other churches because our program is better. But then there's no power, there's no conviction, there's no transformation. But when you preach the gospel, you will see that life in abundance. I almost somebody gave me white shoes, eh this week because i was I was knocking the people with white shoes in the church for months now, okay I did not wear them because I would like to choose my persecution well because <laughs> I knew I would get persecuted a lot, but one day I will wear them because I 'm not allowed to wear them. If i don 't wear them to church that 's one of the commands you know so so you 're going to see me one day, but pray for me because i I know i 'm going to get a lot of persecution from the White shoes club in this church, and there 's a lot of them. I made them stand, apparently one of them never came back because he was so offended, you know because it wasn 't like you know it wasn't vans it was uh, was was some other sporty one, but in any case, so that 's got nothing to do with nothing but so we can be hipster and have the nice songs and do all the ums and the hula hoops and jump through all that stuff, but it's going to be nothing without the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so, in the Old Testament, it was already prophesied about Jesus and the ministry of Christ. Now, you you cannot, if you want to, if you want to see the world change, if you want to um, see the kingdom of God come in your life, trying to do it in your own flesh would absolutely mean nothing. But in About Jesus, it said in Isaiah chapter 11, the prophecy, long before Jesus came. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. We can almost spend three hours just on that verse. What does that mean? it's the seven folded spirit in the Old Testament. you would see this thing called the menorah, this candlestick that was burning day and night in the temple, and it was like it was like in pure gold and it, it burned, it brought light to the whole inner area where ministry was taking place. Because the priest would go in there, they'd put new bread on this table of showbread. There would be an altar of incense that would burn incense all the time, talking about worship. And then there was this menorah lit up this whole area. There's so a couple of things about the priestly ministry in the Old Testament. is They were never allowed to sweat. They were never allowed to wear heavy clothes when they came into the presence of God. But you could do nothing. You couldn't put bread on there, which was 12 loaves, which represented the 12 tribes of Israel. Very symbolic stuff. Everything in the Old Testament points to the cross, points to what God would come to bring in the New Testament. And so here, many years before Jesus comes, and if you don't believe, hundreds of years before he lived, how accurately to the point it became true. Maybe you don't believe in the Bible here tonight, but I want to tell you the Bible is the most reliable history book that was ever written. It's the most factual book that has ever been written about history. It's not just a religious book. Go and study it, and I dare you. I'll give you a thousand bucks if you can prove me wrong on that, that point. The best history book that has ever been written. Prove me wrong on that one. But the prophecies is so amazing because it says about on Jesus' life would rest the Spirit of God. Later in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, because he has anointed me to do what? To preach the good news, to heal the brokenhearted, to bring liberty to the captives, to declare the year of Jubilee, which was the year every 50th year all the slaves were set free in Israel. So Jesus says, I, I can't do stuff if I don't live in that fullness of the Holy Spirit. When he got baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him like in the form of a dove. And then his ministry started after 30 years when he read the scripture, that specific scripture in Luke 4 verse 18. He stood up for 30 years of the person of the Holy Spirit. And I always thought like the Holy Spirit is a bit weird because it's this mist that flows in, the mist that flows out. But no, it's a person, the personhood of the Holy Spirit. And so you have the Holy Spirit has feelings and a personality, and we talk to him like you would talk to a person. He's your helper. That's the main word in the New Testament for the Holy Spirit is the parakletos, the one who comes alongside you to help you. And so we read a couple of weeks ago in John chapter 14 when we spoke about the heart of the Father. It's probably one of the main things that the Holy Spirit starts to reveal And Jesus said he is the spirit of truth. And so John 14, verse 16, we're going to just recap that quickly. It says, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. So you can see and know. See and know. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then he says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So even in the church, there's a lot of people that operate out of a slave, servant, orphan mentality with God. Why? Because they don't know the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so God invites us to this life in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't mean you need to swing from the chandeliers and sing in other tongues all the time and be weird, you know. Because there's a a lot of people in the charismatic church that are quite weird and they do weird stuff and they're so spiritually minded that they're of earthly no use. (laughs) But the Holy Spirit isn't just there when we have spiritual meetings. The Holy Spirit wants to help you when you're studying and when you're just living everyday life. When He talks to you and mostly God is going to speak to you in a still small voice here inside. (laughs) I remember going and we were traveling in Cambodia, so we had three hours in Cambodia before we had to go through, uh, through to Vietnam and then up to Laos, Laos. And, um, and so we were sitting there, and we just prayed. We said, God, we want to connect with the Christians in this place, but there's just absolutely no way that in three hours we're going to find it because of the persecution. It's not like you go to a church and there's a church building, so we stayed in this little backpackers in place. And the Lord just told us, "I go to the foyer, go and sit in the foyer, and go and pray in the foyer. And then half an hour before you must get to the bus, get to the bus. So we're just sitting there. Now, it's a weird instruction, just wait, you know. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm a doing person. I want to, I want to go and do. You know, I want to get instruction of get out there, turn left at the left at, at the third robot, and, and there wasn't robots at the third stop street. See a sign in heaven and do the five steps, and you get there. And the Lord says, just wait. So the two hours got like long. You know, we were waiting and waiting, but we just eventually started to worship. If everything fails in your life, just worship the Lord. Okay. Uh, or just say, help, Jesus, help. That's the most powerful, deep prayer you can ever pray, okay? Help, you know? Um, and so here we're sitting, and the next moment, I'll never forget it, this man with two other people came walking in, and he said, Do you know what? I woke up this morning at 4 a.m. with a dream, where the Lord told me in the dream I must come here to this place, travel two hours to get here to meet up with you. And so yeah, he walks in, we exchange, we pray, we talk about what God is doing in Siem Reap City in Cambodia. Get on the bus, whoops, go to Vietnam. The next year, and for the next 12 years, we sent mission teams to that place, to that pastor, that got a dream to just tell him to go. You see, for some people, it's, it's normal that God speaks to them in dreams. For us, it's almost like, Abnormal, you know, you think like, does God really speak like that anymore? Now, there's a whole group of Christians, we call them cessationists, meaning that they believe that the working of the Holy Spirit died or sort of stopped when scripture was written, because scripture is God's ultimate revelation. So the people in the first test in the New Testament needed the Holy Spirit to write scripture, and therefore scripture is God's highest way of speaking and God primarily does speak through scripture. But we say no, we are continualist. We say no, what we've read in the book of Acts, it is still continuing today. And the most amazing thing, it's happening all across the world. If you speak to our friends from Brazil, you know? If you speak to Gabriel, where's Gabriel? Is he here? Gabriel, come stand here quickly. I'm gonna share your testimony because you're gonna take too long. Okay? But you're gonna help me with the facts. Okay. So now, what is the chance? Now, what is the chance? Okay, so come stand next to me. You help me with the facts. Okay, whisper in my ears if I'm wrong with the facts, okay? Because I, I I like to put some butter on the bread, okay? So let's just stick to the bread, okay? I like to, like, you know, story tell. So Gabriel came here. He's a missionary here for a year with a team. And two years ago, he had a dream when he was still in Brazil. No, not if I'm right. Okay, not if I'm right. Somewhere up there. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, and so... Um, <clears throat> And so I had a dream, and about three weeks ago, we went to Ronnebosh to have a, a SOS evening there, and when we stopped in front of it, he realized, in front of the building, that was the dream he dreamt about two years before he came here for a mission trip to South Africa. And so we had this old SOS, the evening shortened version, you know, in the dream, they were fighting big demon spirits, and there was one guy that came to kill this one big being, But Gabriel was sad because Gabriel couldn't kill this being, because he didn't use the sword. Did you you not have the sword? I didn't have. Oh, he didn't have a sword. He didn't have a sword. Okay, he was just watching everything, and he was sad in the dream that he didn't have a sword. So now we have this whole thing. Remember, he dreamed about this specific building, and so at the end of the evening, the whole ministry is about. People must come and exchange their swords. God wants to give them long swords for short swords, so that they can start to use their swords—long sh- swords to reach and be trained. Is that right? That was about the ministry. The whole biggest part of the evening was that. So Gabriel goes like, "What?" And so this past weekend, we went to a youth training camp here in Paul. And he, people wrote us scriptures for all the youth leaders that came, and so Gabriel gets a little scripture what does the what did the scripture say Shape sharpen your sword I was telling like, "Be prepared in your sword I was like, "No way <laughs> okay, well, that's a shortened version. Go and ask him the real version let's give him a round of applause, you know so <clears throat> So, so somebody wrote him a little scripture on a piece of paper that left it in his bag, didn't know him at all, and said, you must sharpen your sword. What's the chances? Come on. We're either into fortune telling or we're into the Bible Yeah, There's, there's no other chances. There's, there's just no other chances, okay? So God wants to not, he wants to break an orphan spirit over us, through the working of the Holy Spirit, because suddenly you realize like, hey, God knows my number. God knows my name. God is in control of my life, because if He makes me dream a dream two years before I arrive on a mission place to a little place where I'm supposed to go on a Wednesday evening, I realize like, wow, God has gone before me. I'm not just doing things for Him. I'm not just here on a mission trip for a year of my life to do a little thing. I'm actually here to be sharpening my sword and getting a new sword and it's it's such a beautiful picture of God speaking clearly and so even if God speaks to you write it down. 1 Corinthians 6 says our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's like suddenly God begins to live in us and then he lives through us. With that goes the spirit that reveals our sonship in Romans 8. Verse 12 to 17, and I'm going to pick up some speed now. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the Spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the Spirit of adoption. Say, Spirit of adoption. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Say, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs and heirs of God, then joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we also may be glorified together. Wow. It says, the Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are a son of God Himself. You're not a church member. You're not just somebody passing through. You are a child of God, <laughs> If, if you know what that means, it is profound. God calls you, JP, his son, okay? Chris, you too. Even if you have red hair, it's, it's amazing, you know? I think Jacob had red hair and David as well. So they, they you're you, you in good company. But so the crazy part is whether you have a long nose, a short nose, a skew nose, it doesn't matter. God calls you a son of God. But you, you will never have that freedom if you don't live in this space with the Holy Spirit. A daughter of God. He bears witness. It means like, you know, the moment when you feel like, oh, I'm hopeless. Oh, I'm, fear. I'm full of fear. Then the Holy Spirit says, no, no, no. I'm your witness. I'm a witness that you're a child of God, Donnie. I'm, a, I'm your witness. <laughs> what does a witness do? They go into the courtroom where there's accusation, where there's judgment, where there's a lot of stuff, that where you feel unworthy. He says, I'm your witness. I'm going to be a witness for you. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to remind you of what God said over your life. I'm going to remind you when the accuser of the brethren comes into your life and he says, "Brahm, you'll never make it. You're not good enough." Do you know what he say? Not ready. Hey, I'm going to be a witness. The third thing that comes with this whole concept of being in God's house and being a son of God is the ministry of righteousness. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 2, and you must go and study the scripture because we don't have enough time to go into deep, into depth concerning the meaning and everything that it says. It says, you are our epistle. This is Paul writing to the church. It says, you are our book, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ. It says, you, you're the book of Christ in the world. Others will read that book and they will know who he is. He says, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. It's beautiful. Paul was so poetic in the way that he wrote stuff. He says, like you, 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 you like the book of God. God wants to use your life for others to read about Christ and know about Christ. A testimony, not just as he testify of who you are before God, but now you become the testimony of. Jesus to the world and the Father to the world. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. That is of the heart. And we have, such, we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. But our sufficiency is from God. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Say the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What does the letter mean? It's just like rules and regulations, and I try so hard to be a child of God, and I try, but you can't. You're going to fall dismally short by trying to persuade yourself to be a child of God. You need a revelation. And so he talks about the old covenant, and these guys, you know, remember all the sacrifices, and they had a priestly system. They had to work through priests to get to know God or through a sacrificial system to get to know God. But he says, but if the ministry of death This is now Moses' ministry, the Old Covenant ministry. Written and engraved on stones was glorious. He says, wow, that was amazing. So that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance. Because Moses' face would shine when he would meet with God. Which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? (laughs) For if the ministry of condemnation had glory... It says, meaning like, hey, these people had to live through the law. They had to live through all the rules. They had to adhere to all the regulations in the Old Testament. It was a shadow of what would to come. Now, he says, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is much more glorious. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For what is passing away was glorious. What remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we use great boldness of speech. He says, this makes me so bold. He says, wow, because if I look at the Old Testament and I look at that, you know, wow. He says, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless... When one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where our Lord is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Say, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Wow, wow. He says, God invites us, the people in the New Testament, not to be entertained, not to play church, church, but to be unveiled. It means like you don't need to look. You don't need to put sunglasses on when the sun is shining. You don't need to hide yourself. The Holy Spirit actually begins to unveil you to behold who God is. And then to see what God is doing. And he says, this is such a glorious ministry, the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit. We as those living after Christ. He says, we are so so privileged. The only problem, the church in the West, we're not tapping into that because there's no sacrifice. The devil is lying to us through entertainment, through quick fixes, through instant fixes, through quick drive through stuff. That no, 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 no. That's not really nice and... And you know, I'm going to get bored with God. What a lie. He says, you're going to be unveiled. And the more you seek God, the more you're going to find. And that's why you're going to say, wow, in heaven. Say it. Just say it. Say, 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 wow. Say, wow. Just say it again. Wow. Wow. Okay. It's probably going to be the word that is mostly used in heaven. Wow, who agrees with me? Now your doctrine is skewed. It will be Jesus. That's going to be the name. That's going to be. But wow is going to be the second best word. Okay, I'm just checking out, checking out your doctrine, especially at the back there. But so, just wow. Yeah. The stuff that, the colors, the things in heaven that are prepared for us is. It's magnificent. It's marvelous. Scripture, the, the word scripture tries to explain he, the heaven in is just, is, the heavens is just, is just crazy. But we opt for quick fixes and we want to do stuff. We just want it now. We just want it quickly. And that's where the devil lies to us. But the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I've, I've told the story before in Afghanistan, they sit in caves, train people, because the underground church, the fastest growing church, He's in Afghanistan, and, and thank you for everybody that's been praying. We have gotten a lot of people out, and God is just doing amazing stuff, uh, Christians. And so uh, this one guy tells me the story of how they go to train people in the caves, but you're not allowed to see who you train because it's very secretive, and they don't want you—if they, if they catch you, they will probably kill you. So then you can't say who you saw because you didn't see anyone. In these caves, three or four days, just under the caves, training people. So you never know who you train. You just know you're training Christians in the Word of God. It says they had a massive crisis one day as they were talking about the Holy Spirit. and They're talking about this scripture of being unveiled and Moses' face shining when he saw God. They started to pray for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And they say they were sitting. And the next moment, the one guy got filled with the Holy Spirit and his face started to shine in this cave. So he literally, he became like a torch, like a lamp, like a pew, you know? That song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. It became real, okay? It wasn't just a little light. It was like, whew. And so everybody's running and trying to hide in the cave because they're not allowed to see each other, you know? But this guy was just shining, and he was just sitting there. So that was like a big crisis for them, yeah? And it's just crazy how most of the church in the Middle East is operating, But see, we in the West, we are selling ourselves out for entertainment, quick fixes.
1: We don't realize
0: how much there is in Christ. And that's why we need to ask the Holy Spirit, say, Lord, Holy Spirit, help me to see the Father, to cry out, Abba, Father. Holy Spirit, help me to see where you are moving and what you are doing. Lord, speak to me. I value your presence more than anything in my life. Never do something without consecrating. Every morning you wake up, you say, Father, I consecrate this day. I say, Holy Spirit, I acknowledge you in my work, in my life, in my studies, everything I do. Speak to me, because he's going to speak to you so many times. I, can, I promise you. And so when you know the presence of God, then you will know the power of God. And this is the last scripture, Acts 1 verse 8. It says, but you shall receive power, dunamus when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the uttermost ends of the earth. Sure. You shall receive power. Donamos. I want to ask you a question, is your Christianity powerful? Again, you will not have the power of God until you have the presence of God until you begin to sacrifice for the presence of God. So it means you need to say no to a lot of things. Because maybe you think like, oh, you know, you, the church again not busy this whole week, but you know what? I've planned my whole week, you know? And then God comes and He speaks, and then you're not there when He speaks. The only problem is, then we begin to harden our hearts and we say, well, God doesn't speak. But there's going to be defining moments in your life that God shapes you, and He just like, pfft. and many people miss those moments. Reynard Bonko, one of the greatest evangelists that Africa has seen, the people came to me and said, you, you're so amazing, you know. And then he says, well, do you know what? God actually told me that I'm his fourth choice. Three people before me said no to the call of God on my life. I was in a meeting with Um Angus Bakken when an older uncle came walking up with tears just weeping and weeping. And he said, it was in 2010, well, it was 2010 where there were 300,000, 400,000 men at the men's conference on his farm. And the old woman just came, brought him a gift, and he said to him, do you know what? Many years ago, God called me to do what you are doing right now, and I just want to bless you. I missed God's call on my life. You see, we, we, we think we have so many chances, but no, we don't. God is not sentimental about his will and his kingdom. I'm very sorry because we think. I'm not talking about forgiveness of sins. I'm not talking about going to heaven. I'm not talking about God giving you 400 chances for restoration in your heart. But when it comes to God's will in Stellenbosch, we as this group sitting here can say yes to it or God will wait for another generation. He'll wait for a Joshua and a Caleb to stand up. And then everyone in the wilderness will die. They go to heaven, beautiful, worship Jesus. But they would have never tasted of God's call on their life. Go laboring with Jesus. And so tonight is a, is a call up to say, hey, you need to get rid of that distraction. You need to get rid of those lies. You need to ask and, and start to be on your knees and begin to say, Lord, I want to be part of those virgins whose oil, their lamps are filled with oil. Because we don't like to read that scripture you know we don't like to be in that space but there were two groups of virgins the one virgins they were all both groups were waiting for the bridegroom to return so it talks about the church doesn't talk about unbelievers and the church it says about two groups inside the church and the one group within it got 12 o'clock and you know, Ah, you know, what can this little shorty preach again? And his jokes wasn't so funny, you know. <laughs> oh, in Liverpool, oh, I'm going to walk alone. Uh, never walk alone, you know, because my soccer is coming. You, know? and then, you, you, you rush out because your favorite chick wasn't in church, you know, and all that stuff. And you know what the crazy part is? God loves you. And he will never reject you. And he'll he'll give you 500,000 times to be forgiven, to be healed, to be restored. But he's not sentimental about his will in Stellenbosch, his will in your family. And there's some of us tonight that must say, Lord, I want to take the baton. I want to say yes to that inheritance, being a co-laborer with Christ, to inherit with Christ, to stand with Christ. And therefore, I need the Holy Spirit. So tonight is not about condemnation. It's an invitation to wake up. It's an invitation for you to say, Father, I need an urgency and I need an intentionality in my life. Because I realize the devil is lying to me by keeping me busy with so many things. And I'm not saying get more busy for God. I'm saying yield more to the Holy Spirit. Don't try to do anything. Just in your prayer in this coming week, just say, Holy Spirit, here am I. My body's a temple. Come and speak to me. Come and speak through my small group. Come, Lord. I have an expectation. I want this lamp to be full. Lord, stir urgency because I can't. Lord, help me to get rid of that sin because I can't. (laughs) Just honest, broken prayers. And in that space, God comes and he says, I'm sending you a helper, the spirit of truth. And his main thing will will break the lies here in the head. The lies about can you be used by God? Can you not? Is it really coming back? Is it really like not boring? Is it not like so? I'm gonna end off with one story. Can I tell you one more story? Raise your hand if I can tell you one more story if you want me to tell. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh many, many, many. Lock the doors. Okay. So we um And some of you have heard this story, but it's one of those moments that changed my life. It was doing Bible school here at Tigerberg. In the middle of the Bible school session, the Holy Spirit says to me, stop. There's a guy, Rualt Low. Prophesy over him. Speak my word over his life. So, So this is quite embarrassing. I'm just a guest visiting speaker there. I don't know all these students sitting there. I know they've signed up for Bible school, and I know I need to rush through my 30 minutes to finish my thing, you know. So the Holy Spirit says to me, now. I say, no, Lord, wait. Yeah, and the Holy Spirit says, now, pray for him now. I think, like, Lord, I've got 30 minutes, and I'm, I've got three hours of stuff I want to get into this 30 minutes. The Lord says, I don't care, pray for him right now. So I call him to the front, standing there in Tigerberg Medical Campus. And say, hey, took his hands. I say these hands will go into cold places, but out of your life, many seeds will grow. The amazing thing is the next week exactly the same happened. The Holy Spirit says to me again, call him. I think, like, Lord, this is quite embarrassing, (laughs) you know. (laughs) You know, (laughs) Lord says, speak the same word over him. I'm thinking, like, Lord, can't we just, you know, put the CD on again, you know, DVD repeat, like, you know, I'll send it to him or WhatsApp it, you know. What's his note do it? And I call him to the front. It was Wednesday night. That Friday night, Ruald Lowe died. Sure. Spoke to his mother the day before the funeral. And there were quite a religious crowd that had to family and stuff that had to do the funeral. And so they asked me to do the ending, the, the finishing prayer of this funeral. There were like 800 people there. And so I spoke to his mother his mother said she's very sad, but every morning when the came out of his room, 18 years, 19 years old, he would shine. And then he would go to and say, Mom, I'm ready for Jesus' return. Everyone around him got saved that week. The lady working in the house as well. Long story short, so here comes this, the The funeral. And so I just realized, like, Lord, you've got a word. You had a word over his life, and that means that seed is dying in the ground. I thought the cold hands going into cold places means, like, Iceland, Russia. He's going to minister there. That's what I thought, you know. Never interpret what God is saying. He actually died. That's what the cold places meant, you know, that God actually knew, 19 years old, His time is coming to an end. So, funeral comes. Bless his heart, but this... Christian leader speaks the most nonsense ever. 40 minutes I'm sitting there, I'm thinking like, what? No, everybody is not Christian. No, there is a heaven and hell. So now my heart is beginning to pump because I realize like there's a prophecy and there's an opportunity for 800 people to respond to this seed that is in the crown. So I have the finishing prayer at the funeral. So what can you do? You just pray a prayer in a prayer. So this is what I prayed. I said, Father, I thank you. We're very sad, but today is not about the world's life. Today is about the people here that needs to repent because, Jesus, you died and you rose from the dead. And the world's life is not in vain, Lord, because his life is a seed and we can choose whether we want to be urgent about following you or not, or we can play games. But Father, I want to thank you that Jesus died on the cross for forgiveness of sins. And Lord, we respond in repentance today. And so Father, I thank you. As I'm busy praying, everyone that does not know you will stand up in this prayer and they will acknowledge that they need you. So about 400 people. While I'm busy praying, 400 people stood up. And Lord... As they are standing up, they're considering their sin and whether their life is right with you. And if it's not right with you, everyone that is standing will now pray after me. Lord Jesus, here is my life. I repent of my sins. I turn back to you. I want to live fully for you. So I had a prayer, a salvation prayer, in the prayer, for a prayer, for a prayer. Okay. Four and a half minutes. Everybody repented. People started to cry. Amen. So what's the moral of the story? Never ask me to pray. Okay, No, no, ask me to pray at the funeral. Okay. Seven years later, a a lady came walking. I met her up there in the eastern part of Namibia. She says, do you know what? I went from that funeral. I led my dad to the Lord. I led my mom to the Lord. My two sisters, my whole family got saved. We planted a church. We're 70 people now. A seed was planted in our hearts because of that one prayer. Let's give God a round of applause. Amen. And so. So God says, are you willing? Not are you performing, are you striving? Because most of us in the natural, we are disqualified. Based on what Jesus has done, we are qualified. But humility is the key, the righteousness of Christ. And that's why that one scripture talks about the ministry of righteousness, meaning to have a right standing before God. The Holy Spirit brings that in your life, that you're a son of God, that you're right before him, that you can live in the freedom. And it's all because of the cross. It's not because of our greatness. It's not because of our urgency. It's not because we go on missions. It's not because we fast and pray. It's not because of our works. It's about what the Holy Spirit is doing. And the Holy Spirit is here with us. I don't know about the other churches in this church. The Holy Spirit is beginning to work our holiness and a and a desire for God and for the things of God. There's almost like also a frustration. How many of you have been experiencing a bit of a frustration? Spiritually, you just feel like this frustration. feels like, hey, I, I'm in second gear, but I know I need to be in third gear. Raise your hand if that's you. You feel like, wow, God wants to do something, but it's on the verge, and it, and it feels like I'm so frustrated with myself because I can't get there where God wants me to be. You're in the best place ever, because you need the Holy Spirit. You need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And as you just open up your heart, as you just begin to say, God, even if I just pray a prayer on a funeral, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Wholeheartedly following. That was what Joshua and Caleb did. They wholeheartedly follow God. They didn't hold anything back. And God says, they've got a different spirit. Will you stand with me tonight? Thank you for listening